Welcome to the Sendcast. My name is Dale Pickles and I'm the host of the Sendcast. I am also the manager director of B Squared, a company who supports schools to show small steps of progress. Each week on the podcast, we'll be talking about a topic within the world of special educational needs, something to help us learn and support children with SEND. You could be a parent or relative, a teacher, teaching assistant, SENCO, senior leader, advisor, or someone else who works with children with SEN. There's so much to do, so much to learn, and a load of stuff we don't have time for. The Sencast is here to help you broaden your knowledge around a range of topics within the world of special needs. This week's podcast is on speech and language in children with Down syndrome. Our guest is Ang Harrod Welch, a speech and language therapist who runs Find the Key Speech and Language Therapy. Ang Harrod has worked with a number of organizations, including Nathan and ourselves at B Squared. She also speaks at various events. Before we get started, do you know what we do here at B Squared? Have you even heard of B Squared? B Squared was started around 25 years ago by my mum. She always struggled to show progress for pupils with special needs, so she created something that would keep her going until someone else made something she could buy. That never happened, so she started selling what she created. 20 years ago, my dad realized it would be even better as a piece of software and created Connecting Steps, our assessment software. We are currently on version four, and around 4,000 schools have purchased Connecting Steps for showing progress for their pupils with special needs. Over the last 25 years, we've been keeping up with government changes and creating new frameworks based on government guidance. So if you still haven't found your replacement to P-levels, have a look at our website to see what we have done. We have also started to create frameworks for other areas. And earlier this year, we launched our communication interaction framework to help schools work closer with their speech and language therapists. The framework supports pupils who communicate vocally as well as using AAC. You can find out more by visiting the B Squared website. I'll put a link in the show notes to take you to the correct page. And if you are interested in what B Squared do and our frameworks, I'll also be putting a link in the show notes to book a free online meeting with me where I can show you what we do and how this can support your school. Now on with the podcast. Welcome to Sharon Harrod. Hi. So children and young people with Down syndrome often have uneven profiles and they can have a range of speech and language needs. This can be very individualised and support their education. We need to understand the individual difficulties and support those. I've always known Down syndrome as Down syndrome, but I'm doing some research on Down syndrome and it's, it, they are both correct. It depends on where you are and other factors, but what everyone agrees on is you do not say a Down syndrome child, it's always the person first, a child with Down syndrome. Mm-hmm. Okay, so let's start with what is Down syndrome? Okay, so people with Down syndrome have an extra copy of one of their chromosomes, chromosome 21. And that is why World Down Syndrome Day is on March the 21st, because they have an extra copy of chromosome 21. Ah. Yeah. And that's what all people with Down syndrome will have in common. And beyond that, so basically what, what that means is very, very different for lots of children. But there are certain things that will tend to be in common amongst different people with Down syndrome. So we know that they will have some level of learning need. And that can vary quite widely. And we also know that most people with Down syndrome will have low muscle tone. And I mentioned that specifically because it can impact on their communication. So those are two of the sort of themes. And the reason I wanted to talk about Down syndrome particularly is because I'm very aware that a lot of mainstream schools these days will be much more accessible places to children with Down syndrome. And there's a lot more research out on communication needs in children with Down syndrome than there ever used to be. And in some ways, unlike a lot of children with speech and language needs, because children with Down syndrome have 
a very defined chromosomal condition, we can identify and study that group of children in a much more specific way than some of the wider, sort of more disparate speech and language needs. I suppose in some of the other groups, what is their primary need? Is it their autism or is it this? Where actually, because you've got that chromosome, they're definitely in that group. Yes, you either got an extra copy of chromosome 21 or you don't. So, you know, in some ways, when we're looking at groups of children to research their language skills, then those children are a defined group. And like, you know, a lot of the children I work with will start off with some quite generic label like general developmental delay. And so it's harder to study those groups of children because it encompasses a much wider range of need. Yeah, you've almost got to sort of find out what their need is, which might take a while because you have to have the conversations with stuff, whereas extra chromosomes, quite easy. Yes, yes. So what's happening now is we've got a lot more studying of, of chromosomes generally going on and we're often finding patterns of like micro deletions in chromosomes and that kind of thing that help are going to start to help us identify other groups of children who've got more general developmental delays. So I think that the time is coming where we've got more data on a wider group of children. But I think it's true to say at the moment that, you know, children with Down syndrome are a, a defined group. And so inherently, they're easier for people to study the language of. Oh, OK. So I think it's important that people know that there is a generic sort of information to be had about children with Down syndrome and their language profile. And it's almost important to understand that so you can Id- identify where individuals vary from that because there's a massive amount of variation in communication skills in children with Down syndrome. But we do know, the one thing we know about all children with Down syndrome is they will have some level of speech and language need. In my research, I sort of found that often that children and young people with Down syndrome have a variety of traits. So including working memory, hearing, speech motor difficulties, as well as slow vocabulary acquisition and speech motor effects. Now, in each of those, it can be very unique to each child. So although that's a, a generalised areas of difficulty, actually for different children, they can be in different places in each of those areas. Yes, very much so. So what pulls some of those things together? So, for example, what pulls some of those things together that you just said about motor skills might be low muscle tone. OK. So now... Two children with Down syndrome might have, they might both have low muscle tone, but it might still be different. But what we know about, if you think about speech as a motor process in terms of how you move your tongue and lips and jaw, that is essentially, it's essentially a fine motor skill. The things that we do with our tongue and our lips and our jaw are small graded movements, just like we need to use for holding a pen or. So if you've got low muscle tone, that will tend to give you a delay in your gross motor skills. And there tends to be a knock on effect for those small graded movements in our mouth. So there is a motor component to speech difficulties in children with Down syndrome as a rule that isn't always there with some other children. Okay. So some of the speech delay comes down to a matter of kind of if gross motor skills are delayed because you've got low tone, then there'll be a knock-on effect for your fine motor skills in your mouth, a knock-on effect for your speech. Yeah. So children with Down syndrome can have all the same types of speech issues as you might see for lots of other reasons in other children, but they can also have a motor component that may or may not be there for other children. Yes. So they could, could have the same difficulties, but they can be extended because of their own, because of the Down syndrome yes. and the traits. Yes, absolutely. Then the auditory memory, talk about that's very true. So children with Down syndrome will tend to have more trouble remembering things that they've heard versus things that they've seen. So that's why, one of the reasons we use a lot of visual support with children with Down syndrome. Now, that's generally true of children with speech and language needs. that They'll often have stronger visual memory than auditory memory but one of the effects of the auditory memory difficulties in children with down syndrome is is partly like you say the uh, vocab acquisition if you can't hold a word in your head for very long it's going to be hard to lay down in your long-term memory 
So you're going to need more exposures to the same word before you lay it down. And also it's going to impact on grammatical development. So if people are using long sentences with you and you can only hear, you can only hold a certain amount of that in your head, then you're going to sort of pick out the keywords that give meaning and you might not process the small grammatical parts of the sentence quite so well. Yeah, this gets into like phonology, like the rhythm of words and things like that. Yeah, there's a relationship for sure. Yeah, so your phonology is about the internal structure of words and a lot of our children they might, this is just generally true of children with speech and language needs, a lot of children with speech and language needs will have auditory memory difficulties. And sometimes that will look like the inability to sort of identify sounds within words and that will impact on their speech output. But equally, some children will struggle to pick out the small grammatical parts of words. So, you know, the difference between push and pushed is quite a small one. And if your auditory memory isn't great and your phonological awareness isn't great, then you might not have picked up on the pertinent difference in sound between the two yes so auditory memory can have quite a lot of effects both on comprehension and because then you're not processing what you're hearing well then that's going to have knock-on effect on your expression as well okay i've forgotten the other things you said now so we talked a bit about motor speech and we talked a bit about auditory memory and Uh, so working memory hearing hearing yes so we know that children with down syndrome are much more prone to what we call conductive hearing loss so glue ear and things like that Okay. And that's because, relatively speaking, the tube that basically drains your ear, your middle ear, gets blocked up a little bit more easily in children with Down syndrome because anatomically the structures are slightly smaller and closer together, essentially. So that's why they're a little bit more prone to, I mean, all children are prone to conductive hearing problems. So conductive hearing problems are the kind that are going to sort of be intermittent and come and go. Okay. With like glue ear and that kind of thing, as opposed to your kind of underlying problems with the nerves for hearing. Yes. So, yeah, we know that children with Down syndrome are more prone to getting conductive hearing loss than the average population. Okay, so basically when you're thinking of, when you're working with a child with Down syndrome, you're, you've got all these possibilities mm. and you've then got to work out, okay, what is it that's causing the delay out of all of these? So Absolutely, they yeah. can actually hear, but it's that holding that thought, that word in their head, or is it they're struggling with their hearing, which mm-hmm. is the biggest barrier? Yes, yeah. And both things can be true. And often it is more than one thing at the same time. And also, because as you said, because it glue ear, it can come and go. Yes, absolutely. Make life more difficult. So it can be hard to sort of capture that. But luckily, a lot of the things we're going to do to support children's comprehension generally, in terms of classroom strategies, are going to support them, whether it's an actual hearing loss or more of a problem holding that word in your head. So things like signing, for example, is something we often recommend for children with Down syndrome. And I think people are often focused on the expressive element of that, yeah. that, you know, they're there for the child with Down syndrome to use to us. But actually signing is really good for supporting comprehension as well. So that's one of the reasons we suggest that. And then the visual strategies that I mentioned, the visuals are going to help you whether you've got a hearing issue or whether you've got a problem actually remembering what you've heard. OK. So luckily, the strategies are in tune <laughs> with both. Cool. I also mentioned speech motor difficulties and speech motor effects. Yeah. What's the difference? (laughs) Well, my understanding of the difference is, so basically children children with low tone, so low tone is essentially when your muscles are at rest and not particularly doing anything, you're going to have slightly floppier muscles at rest than the rest of us. That's my very non-physio explanation of low tone. And so (laughs) um, that is going to have a knock-on effect on your motor speech capacity. So some children with Down syndrome some will have a motor component to their speech and so what my understanding of a motor speech difficulty versus 
motor speech effects is you can have a most motor speech difficulty and then the impact of that would be the motor speech effects okay so what i find is children who've got those sorts of difficulties they can be quite unintelligible or sometimes you get children who they're quite intelligible at single word level or maybe a couple of words together but as their language grows and they try and put longer sentences together because they're their motor planning is not letting them move very quickly between the different places in their mouth. And so their intelligibility might drop off as the sentences get longer. A bit like a t- typical tongue twister. It, it's literally, the idea is for a tongue twister, it ties your tongue up. The idea is you're struggling with the words. So for them, just a normal sentence, they're not sure how to structure it together with their mouth. And that's what's having the impact. Yeah, if you think about basically if, you're, if your motor skills are an area of difficulty for you, you might be able to get into all the right tongue positions for words. But when you try and do it at speed, the transition between those is difficult. Yeah. And maybe the points of contact between your tongue and the areas of your mouth you need to make might be a little bit more imprecise. And so that's not too bad at single word level. But when, once you try and pick up speed, you've got more to say the intelligibility impact of that can be quite significant. As usual, I've got loads of things buzzing around my head, nothing to do with the topic we're talking about. (laughs) Things I see on the internet do with different accents and intelligibility, which is various questions, but I won't go off on that tangent yet. (laughs) Don't ask me those. (laughs) Don't sound like things I can answer. (laughs) So I think what's important for people to understand is there is a learning, you know, because of children with Down syndrome have learning needs and their communication and comprehension is going to reflect that. But there are we know that children with Down syndrome also have speech and language problems beyond their level of learning need. So they have extra speech and language problems on top yes. of wherever their learning's at. And also that some children with Down syndrome will have comprehension difficulties, but their expressive language will still tend to be poorer than their comprehension. Okay. So when I qualified as a speech therapist, the thing that you always read about children with Down syndrome is that their speech could be what they call telegrammatic. So they'd use one or two words and miss off all those little grammatical endings because they had poor auditory memory and et cetera, et cetera. Personally, my experience is of a more advanced profile now because I think we understand children better and we give them better therapy, to be honest with you. But that certainly is an issue. And so people tend to assume then that you don't understand because you're not able to express yourself. And it becomes a bit of a vicious cycle, really. So people kind of lower their expectations of you because you're not saying so much. So telegrammatic, I Mm. presume that's referencing to telegrams where you cost per word yes that's right yes so in theory it's a bit like pex or that pictorial system where you're focusing on the keywords yes maybe missing out the joining bits yeah so yeah so if either because your motor skills talking quite difficult or because you don't have the grammatical development you're going to focus on the parts of the message that get the message across basically which a lot of aac like you talk about pex does a lot of that too it's about function yes um, and function is important, but also it's important to keep developing these other skills so that people can reach their language potential. Yeah. So basically, they, it's almost like they know what they're trying to say, but their skill, motor skills are limiting. So focus on the key bits. And then what you, I suppose, as a speech language therapist is then developing how to actually be able to say and develop the skills to be able to say the whole sentence. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Very much so. But and yeah, in various ways, and that depends on the profile of the individual. Yeah. So it depends on, is that issue coming from an auditory memory problem? Is it a motor issue? Is it an actual, they, they might have some of the same speech issues as anybody else. So is it, which part of it is it? And that would guide exactly where our interventions go. So in theory, in the previous podcast with you and Wendy Lee, we talked about all these different things that can affect speech, that all of that could be affected with someone with Down syndrome, but they also Absolutely. have that completely underlying problem 
So yes. one could be masking another. So you kind of go, this is what I'm expecting, but this is not what I'm seeing. But that could be effect of a further language difficulty on top of. Absolutely. Yeah. So children with Down syndrome can get all the same things that other children can get in terms of their speech and language. We know that stuttering is more common in children and young people with Down syndrome as well. Okay. Uh, than the average population. You can also get dual diagnosis of children with Down syndrome. They might have, for example, autism as a co-occurring diagnosis. So, you know, this is what I mean. There's information that we need to know that informs the way we might differentiate for a child. And then I think where the speech and language therapist comes in is to kind of go, okay, these general principles are really useful for schools to know because they guide general classroom strategies. And then we can come in and go, right, okay, for this child, this exact thing is what we need to work on. And I think that's why it's important that schools know that generic information about the profile because that will guide a lot of the sort of more focused targeted level of stuff that they can do before a speech therapist arrives yeah so kind of that's kind of giving that sort of tier one level tier two kind of thing but actually it's yes. really identifying that child's needs yes to really yes. be the targeted and what works for one child with down syndrome may not work for the next no so there are certain things that we know generally are good ideas in the classroom and then there are things that we're going to need to tweak as speech therapists for individual children so I think it's important that people are doing the stuff they can be doing before we get there really and not wait for us to do it so things like signing never going to be a bad idea in the classroom environment for children with down syndrome and also I mean happily the things you do for children with down syndrome in the classroom are actually just really good for every language learner so there's never a downside no and speech surface would always start with adding more visuals because it's just generally the case, it's hardly ever not the case that children with SLCN in general will tend to have weaker auditory memories than visual ones. So it's always a good idea to add more visual support. Okay. Um, and it's always a good idea to add some signing. But signing is a particular area that is difficult to get people to maintain. So you'll find a lot of younger children with Down syndrome will be using signing on some level. And then what happens drives me a little bit mad is that when they go into school and they start talking more they will often naturally go through a period of not signing as much now that they're talking and people tend to just drop all the signing then but actually like I said earlier signing is supporting comprehension so even if a child's not using it to support their expression right now it's still a good idea to be using the signing yeah and oftentimes what I'll find is as children step up from sort of one level of language development to another, they'll often lean back into their signing for a little bit, but only if they see it being used. If they don't see it being used in their environment, they'll just abandon it, when actually it could be a really useful scaffold onto the next level of uh, skill. So if I think of when I'm out in the car and I'm trying to find a parking space, I turn the volume down. Mm -hmm. For someone who signs is adding that oral language in, and as, you say, as you're moving it up, that can be quite challenge so they drop mm. back in the same way you turn the volume down you're just making life easier yeah dropping down to that level that's it yeah so basically what signing does is it adds a visual component also if a child's signing with you it's adding a multi-sensory component they're getting another level of sensory feedback that's going to help them lay down that information alongside the words because we're always talking and signing at the same time yeah so Signing can be a really great way because exactly as you said, we know that vocabulary acquisition can be an area of difficulty with children with Down syndrome. So it's really good idea to plan what vocabulary we are targeting, you know, look at the curriculum, what's coming up, what are going to be some key words here that this child needs to learn and make sure we know the signs for those and be making an effort to make them more multi-sensory by adding signing because it will help them pick up that vocab quicker for when it comes up in the classroom. Yeah. So you're kind of adding in another level of information for things that you know are likely to be difficult for that child yeah 
that makes sense. Mm. It's all, always about whatever you're doing, giving that option to step down at level, giving them an easy yes. way in. Yes. And I think once you get used to using these kind of scaffolds, like signing, like visual support, you know, you can grade them up and down, but you, you can't, a child won't learn to use that information and lean on it when they need it if we're not using it in the classroom. So a really classic thing happens with signing and visual support is happens with visual timetables all the time. You put stuff in place, child learns to use it, understands what's required of them, things start to get better. And then people stop using that strategy because now it's working. And you think, well, yeah, <laughs> but and next time, because they've dropped it, then next time they could use that strategy. Nobody's got the skills because they dropped it. Whereas you're much better keeping those strategies on a sort of low boil. <laughs> yeah. Using them in a low level way so you can ramp them up and down as you need to. But it's a, it's a really classic thing. And then when the speech therapists come back in and say, oh, visual timetable or signing might be a good idea. They go, oh, no, we've done that. We were, you know, we, we stopped doing that. And it's much harder to get people to start again once they've stopped so I don't think people realize that they need to commit to these strategies because they can grow with the child so I suppose when you think like visual timetables is when a child is much younger they're generally not concerned with what's going to happen in the day mm. that's something you introduce later on so as you're introducing that concept I've been able to do that through the sign language it basically is you're sharing that information at an easier level so yes yeah at that level they're working at they don't need the sign language we're now pushing them on we're now introducing a whole new concept yeah. all of this stuff going on that's a lot for them to understand and take in so let's give them an easier way to take Absolutely. that skill on that's it and you know as we get further through school our language gets more complex our sentences get longer there's going to be more load on the child's memory so you know we we bring back in that visual support but it's like I say it's very hard once a child stops using it they're often very not very keen to start again and similarly with the adult so there's no reason we shouldn't be using signing at secondary but you hardly ever see it to be honest with you because actually some of the language is seriously abstract at secondary level and it would really spoil people if we use the signs for those words. But it's it's a rare setting that <laughs> is using um, any kind of signing at secondary level. Okay. And I suppose in, in the classroom, you have on the walls, you often have these sentence starters and all that sort of stuff. So you often mm. have visual things on the walls. Mm. And as you said, the language gets more difficult the older you get. But you kind of you don't have those visuals on the wall. So again... Yes. You expect them to step up, but you expect them to step up without support. Yes, yes. So, for example, it's a really good example. So we know that when it comes to learning to read, that trauma down syndrome would tend to have a lot of visual strengths. So they'll often do well with a whole sight word reading approach as sort of alongside their phonics. And there are approaches to their speech therapy intervention that also uses whole sight reading and uses that visual strength of reading to sort of, again, scaffold the language learning. So, for example, I might have a young man who might have a notebook and those sentence starters that were on the wall in primary aren't there anymore. So we keep them in a notebook for him <laughs> written down. So it doesn't always have to be symbols. The written word is visual support to have them written down so he can just go back and refer to them and use them in his writing for example yeah. so a lot of times it's just about finding slightly more age appropriate ways to use the same kinds of strategies yeah and what you do when you do that is it's a hot topic in children with down syndrome and children with additional needs generally is kind of independence and not becoming too dependent on a ta and all that kind of thing and too often what we mean by that is you know oh we use this strategy a bit and then uh, it worked so we stopped using it and we haven't planned for the child to start to use it independently so you know if we're using visual support for a child with down syndrome then we need to gradually work ourselves out of that situation and teach the child how to use that visual support for themselves 
even make their own visual support. Eventually, you know, the visual timetables can grow into a written list, a diary. But if we don't plan for that stuff, it's not going to happen. And it's not good enough to just go, oh, that worked for a bit and now we've got rid of it. And that's where speech therapy can help you as a setting, you know, kind of work out, okay, you might know about first and then visual timetables, but where do I go from there? So it's important that people don't abandon those strategies. Yeah. But kind of take the time to reflect on where are we going with this strategy instead. I like the idea that classrooms grow up as you go up. So they, this, mm. all that support on the wall disappears. Yes. I like the idea of having it in a notebook or having a yeah. little book. Because that way they can refer to it when it suits them. It's it's not up on the wall. So it's they often don't want to be seen as different. Mm. So a lot of the time they want to be normal. They want to be seen as normal and not stand out. So yes. my nephew with autism very much doesn't want to be draw any attention to himself. So having something that they can use without drawing attention is, is that's a, I like that idea. That makes a lot yeah. of sense. So taking what you've got on the walls and having a book full of it yeah. can really help that child. It's really, it's really simple, and yet it often doesn't happen. And we just need to find ways of making that a little bit more age appropriate a lot of the time. So, like, I've got a young man in secondary school. We put little visual prompts for him in his pencil case now, so he can check in them in his pencil case. Like, if you don't know what a word means, what you're going to do about it? Here are five strategies. Well, instead of somebody needing to prompt him to do that all the time, you know, we teach him here are your prompts. If you're not sure do these five things you know and so but if you don't plan for this stuff it's not going to happen spontaneously no just because you've shown them this is what i'm doing when you take it mm. away they won't sit there and going well i've got to do that for myself now no that's that's, that's a whole, whole level of skill yes absolutely and again a lot of adults haven't internalized just because they've used the strategy once doesn't mean they're going to think to use it the next time they use it so this is a theme of our discussion still that you know <laughs> we expect things of children that we don't expect of adults all the time so we do need to Plan. And especially children with Down syndrome, because we know that they're going to have difficulties. You know, these are predictable difficulties. So there's not really any excuse for not thinking about this stuff. I suppose it's un- understanding why a strategy's worked. Yeah. If you understand why a strategy's worked, the benefits of it, um, then when you remove it, that, then you go, okay, so I've still got to provide that benefit, but they might not even do it themselves. So I then need a strategy to support them to do that themselves. Yes, absolutely. And I think that's why it's important that schools understand the sort of general information that we know about children with Down syndrome's language because if you understand why you're doing it then you're going to find different ways to do it I mean myself I'm really bad at just doing what I'm told to do I have to understand why and I think that's really important for schools to understand too it's not you're not doing it because the speech therapist told you to you're doing it to compensate for you know an area of difficulty that we know this child has or to use an area of strength that we know this child has so you know I think it's important people understand the reasons they're doing things because then they will more instinctively find ways to adapt them to their environment and also having lots of experience of not the same but similar situations gives you confidence yes so this is this is a podcast where i don't have a lot of knowledge my, my knowledge on down syndrome i talked about with ang harrod before we started recording i won't repeat it because apparently what happened when i was at school to some of these children isn't very nice <laughs> but i won't go into that but we've come a long way so that's great to hear mm. So this is one of the podcasts where I, I wasn't confident going into it. I didn't know what knowledge I have, how the conversation would go. But because I've podcasted with you before, I know it's easy to talk to you. I know <laughs> that you will look at me on the camera and go, okay, so he seems to have a question or he's not quite sure on that, and then you'll go on. So that makes it easier for me. So I've mm-hmm. learned strategies, and you've learned working with each other, which makes this, although I wasn't comfortable doing this podcast, because it's a whole area. I didn't know how I could join in on a conversation. 
you've actually given me lots of strategies and experience to let me go into this happily. Yes. Yes. But if I hadn't given you any help and sort of scaffolded that experience and I just sat there not giving you any eye contact, then that w- wouldn't have been helpful. So we need to, you know, we need to be aware what supports we're putting in place and it's not enough to take them away. We can we can adapt them so they're not giving quite as much support sometimes so that the child's working a little bit harder. We can dial them up and down. But if we don't understand why we're doing those things, then we're not, we're just going to take strategies away willy-nilly, basically. <laughs> but also, without realising, you gave me a list of four topics. I org- organised them into the, my preference. <laughs> so we organised a number of topics, and this is the one I left to last because I was just the least confident. Yes. By my information I've gained from the other podcast has helped me in this one. Yes. Bring to this. Good. Well, I'm, I'm pleased about that. <laughs> I just wanted to say one more thing about children with Down syndrome. Actually, we know that some children with Down syndrome, and again, this is true of children generally, but we know this particularly to be the case. Some children with Down syndrome are really going to struggle to generalise language to different situations. So you can't assume that because they've understood a word in, or a sentence type of grammatical structure in one situation that they're necessarily going to be able to do the same thing in a different context. Okay. And I'd say that's something I'll probably have to work a little bit harder with in terms of children with Down syndrome is that I need to make, be more careful that they understand that thing in every context that they need to use it. And again, that can look like behaviour. If you think, well, he understands that sentence, but actually put it in the playground. You know, you taught it to him in the classroom, now he's using it in the playground, doesn't quite follow what you're saying anymore. So we need to make more effort, more repeated generalisation opportunities before we can consider a skill embedded. Yeah. And I think that's probably more true of trauma down syndrome than some of the other children I work with. Okay. So we've talked about that generally for children with down syndrome they the, the strategies schools are using to help speech communication generally is going to support mm. them so yes the first place to start is those general speech language communication needs all the support communication friendly environments visual aids all that sort of stuff that is a very good place to start yes always you've got a lot of experience with complex needs and various different types of needs so the fact mm-hmm. that doing a podcast on speech language communication needs linked to down syndrome mm. means you've probably got a lot of experience in that are yes. all speech language communication all speech and language therapists going to be as well versed well that's a good question uh, no i'd say not so speech and language therapy is a huge profession with many many areas of specialization <laughs> so no not by any means so you will tend to find most nhs speech and language therapy departments will work with children with down syndrome the teams that work with children with slightly more complex needs will also tend to work with children with down syndrome because you know, they have certain that they have that core learning need that tends to be true across a lot of children with those sorts of needs uh, we're also more experienced in the sort of motor side of Uh, motor impacts you know children who've got motor delays tend to have certain knock-on effects in terms of their speech and language that again can be common across some of the children with more complex needs so I think yeah I think you'll generally find that people who specialize more in physical disabilities learning disabilities and sort of your AAC will often be the therapist who work with children with Down syndrome that's not to say that all sorts of speech therapists don't have the skills it's just a level of experience, really. But that can be quite a controversial area in terms of how much experience do you need to work with a child with Down syndrome. And that's often something that people spend a lot of time thinking about detailing in their EHCP. As you said, it's speech language, speech language is a huge area. Yes. So you can't always expect every speech language to be an expert in everything. 
Yeah, I mean, I think it's fair to say that speech and language therapists are experts in speech and language, obviously, and communication. But there will be then people, you know, so I'm a specialist speech and language therapist and I have a niche set of skills that are particularly advanced in one area. So everybody gets the same training. So uh, speech and language therapists train and you can go straight from that training into working with adults or children, for example. Now, I've been 15 years working with children, so I'd probably if you put me in front of an adult now, I'd be like, but... I do have that basis, that grounding of speech and language skills. So, you know, any speech and language therapist is going to be able to support a child with Down syndrome to an extent, but there are going to be some people who are a bit more experienced in these areas of research and, you know, just the latest techniques and that kind of thing. It doesn't sound simple at all on top of an already <laughs> complex area. Yeah, and I think this is why this is why people are so keen to get specialist therapists for children with Down syndrome, because it isn't straightforward there are certain things that are always the case across every child with speech and language needs for example always add visuals <laughs> that's never the wrong answer and then there are very specific needs in certain groups of children that need a bit more thinking about so I think that's really important actually to think about because it's important that we don't think this child's got down syndrome therefore they get this kind of therapy that would be easy to do but actually we know that children with Down syndrome will need therapy. And then that's what the therapist does is work out exactly what that therapy looks like. So I can tell you about things that are generally positive for children with speech and language needs associated with Down syndrome. But it's only the therapist working with that child who can do that fine detail. So the general stuff like adding visual signing are going to be positives. And then your actual speech therapy program is going to be targeting different things depending on the strengths of the child. So just on a complete tangent, out of curiosity, mm. which may help parents of younger children with down syndrome mm -hmm. obviously a child might get to a stage in primary school and someone go oh he might have autism and they'll go through the right. hd process and they have the argument whether or not if and all that sort of stuff but with down syndrome as i said they've got that chromosome they've got that extra chromosome. yeah it's not a yeah. maybe it's a yes or no yeah so that journey into kind of ehcps and language that's a very different journey isn't it because you said they're probably going to need that therapy and support anyway. Yes. You're, that's always, you know that's going to come. Yes, you'd like to think so. Yeah, so I think if you ask a wide group of parents with children with Down syndrome about their support needs, I think you'll get a lot of different feedback and different areas dealing with it differently. You'd like to think EHCPs are always specified according to the needs of the child, but I think you'll find quite a lot of opinions about that if, if you asked. But yeah, in some ways, we... We know, and this is why really there's just no excuse for not putting some of this stuff in place. We know children with Down syndrome are going to have certain needs. And the, the degree of those needs and what their impact looks like might look a bit, little bit different. But we know children with Down syndrome need signing. We know children with Down syndrome need visuals. So, you know, as if that's all, the only two things you do, I'd be ecstatic. So there's not really any excuse for schools not to be putting those things in place, you know, because we know that children are going to need those as a foundation to scaffold their learning full stop and then the speech therapist will come and help you work out all those sort of finer detail but yeah completely I can't ever think of a time that I've worked with a child with Down syndrome when they didn't you know get the agreement to the EHCP but I think you'll find there's probably a lot of experience of people getting the detail right in the EHCP but can be a challenge. Is a theory that child once you know they're coming to your school you know you're going to need this EHCP or not They've got Down syndrome. They will need this. There's no yes. Let's discuss this. It's yes or no, and it is a yes. Yes, absolutely. And that's basically that's why I suggested this as a topic uh, because you know th there are a lot of trauma Down syndrome in mainstream environments, and you know the disinformation is out there in this form, in other forms. You know, it's quite a few big charities. So Down's Ed is a charity you might want to look up, and Down Syndrome Association, and there is 
information out there. And so it's not really good enough to wait till a child's in school and then worry about their support needs because we know that they're going to have them, you know, and we know some good general strategies to get in place. So, yeah, you have to start before. And I think what I've seen over the years is a lot of pressure from parents, rightly, that the schools are getting the training they need in this information about the profile that their, their children have before the children start. Yes. And I do find oftentimes that works well at primary and then the information gets a bit lost along the way, you know. So as children transition between year groups and between schools, I think that information about the underlying profile of needs gets a bit lost in the mix. I suppose as a parent, what you kind of think is, I've told this school, these teachers know I shouldn't have to worry about it. Basically, that's not always the case. And, and people come to teaching with all sorts of experiences of different needs and you know people can't know everything but what you do need to know is that you need to go and look you know this information's out there and a lot of the strategies we're talking about are not that hard to integrate into a classroom environment so um yeah it's a starting point and then your speech therapist will come we're so much more effective if you've put the basics in place and then we can come and say okay what you need to know about this child is this this is a specific area of need for them and so it's about schools and senkos you know sort of informing themselves about this general information we know about children with Down syndrome so that they can, you know, get the basics done well. Cool. So we've covered most of the things, I believe. I think so. I'm looking at my notes. I think so, yeah. Um, There are a few strategies I haven't mentioned, though. Oh, oh, good, good, good. So something that links in with the earlier podcast that we've done is that AAC can be a good idea for some children with Down syndrome. Now, that might be because they're unintelligible and they need the AAC to make themselves understood, or it can be a really great way of extending, for example, sentence length. So I'm not necessarily talking about high-tech AAC, though some children with Down syndrome do have high-tech AAC, but something quite simple like communication boards and books that I've mentioned in the other podcast, just for, you know, if a child gives you one or two words in a sentence, you might model back with the board three words or four words, and it's a good way to help build that expectation that they're going to use longer sentences yeah so that can work quite well and similarly just having an expectation that they are going to develop their expressive language skills we know that we need to build in an expectation that we're helping them build their sentences developing more complex vocabulary that kind of thing and then equally because we know they've got this difficulty with auditory memory we should be looking to keep our own sentences quite short wherever we can i know that's easier said than done in the classroom yeah just where the amount of language you're giving in one go for example. And then briefly, we sort of talked about it briefly, but I think it's really important, especially as children with Down syndrome become teenagers, that we're thinking hard about being very explicit with them about their learning, sort of teaching them how to learn and how to approach situations, how to approach their studying and being explicit about that. And that's, again, true of a lot of children with speech and language needs. You know, we need to make the implied more explicit to them. And that's also true socially too. We need to make that implied social information a bit more explicit to them. So is is that kind of because they're not picking up that information subtly? They're just it's almost like they're not seeing it. So yes. therefore you're going, look, this is what you have to do. You're making it very obvious so they yes. can't miss it. Yeah, because a lot of how do we learn how to learn? You sort of just pick it up as you go along, but you can only pick that stuff up as you go along if you have there's other skills you need you know you've got the language you're basically dealing okay with the content and then you muddle through I know I did I kind of just worked out how to tackle an exam nobody really taught me how to do that I had to teach myself how to organize myself nobody really taught me how to do that and for <laughs> and if you know plenty of people will tell you not always good at it now and you know how how do we learn that stuff a lot of that stuff we're not teaching children they just sort of pick it up and so if you're not 
if you're already struggling with a language component, you just haven't got the leftover cognitive capacity to also work out how you're supposed to, you know, apply it afterwards and how you're supposed to organize yourself and all that kind of thing. So, you know, we need to teach them how to do that, you know, just teach them. And again, the kinds of visuals and all that kind of thing, we can, we teach them how to use the strategies. So we, when we're younger, they can, we use the strategies with them and for them, and we teach them how to use them for themselves. Because we don't, you know, we want to support people to be as far along with their skills as possible and as independent with the use of their skills as possible. I do think I said my daughter's school, they are doing more how to study thing. Yes. Realise yes. that go revise isn't the most useful thing to do when they've never ever revised in their life. That's it. Yeah. So they're actually teaching children um, strategies on how to revise. And what works for one child might not work for another. Some of the stuff that I would do will be nothing like what anyone else does. And my daughter does things. I literally look at that and go, what a waste of time. And that's just, oh, my God, that's so much work. But that's what works for her. For her so she's yeah. tried different things. Found something works for her, goes for it. So it is, I suppose, it is when, as children are getting older, you almost because they're older, you expect, your expectations are higher. Mm. But they don't have those skills. You can't suddenly expect no. to have them. You've got to help teach them. It's good to have high expectations, but what high expectations look like is I believe in your capacity to get there, not I think you'll get there if I don't give you any extra help. You know, it's kind of recognizing where children's strengths and areas of weakness lie and then working with them to get them to their potential, not just saying, Oh, I feel like you've got potential, work it out. I mean, that's just not, you know. From a parent's point of view, it's like going from tidying up your child's room and stopping and going, You keep your room tidy. Yeah. It's like we haven't helped them understand. How do you do that? How yep. do you do that? You also, there's so many things within that whole world of keeping your room tidy, how you do that. Yeah. And each child might do it slightly differently, but you haven't given them the skills. You just put that expectation on them. Not the expectation to learn over the next couple of years, just the expectation they will do it from then. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. So we need to, yeah. And I think partly the shift in approaches from schools in terms of, you know, teaching children how to learn and study is because the science has moved on you know we just know a lot more about how we learn than we used to but somehow I think sometimes we forget that when we've got a child with a diagnosis so I don't know quite what that's about <laughs> but you know we just kind of we throw strategies at them when we take them away and there's not that long-term view no the long-term view but I think that's something that I think everyone struggles with my, I know my sister when her child who's in year six going through the EHCP process what do you want for your What's the future look like? Mm. Does anyone know what their child's future looks like at age 10? Mm, so how absolutely. are you supposed to say what you want? How are you supposed to do any of this? You've only got your own experience as a parent of when you were a child, just draw on. This is hard. There's lots of really hard things. So thinking long-term, if you're a primary school teacher and you're in that primary bubble, yes, I don't know what year 10 looks like or 12. or yes. And even in secondary school, it's, how do you look that long term? And it's something that's not hard. I think people need to, as you said, take that step back and think about it. Mm. But I also think that it's it's the pressures, the time, the bubbles of knowledge. Yeah. I think people have bubbles of knowledge. They've got the knowledge they need for that area. And the more you increase that bubble, the harder it is to keep up to date with everything. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. It's really difficult. And that's why we need everybody to know if everybody just knew that more visuals was a good place to start. Brilliant. You know, and what does that look like at different ages? I'd be ecstatic because, uh, you know, when when they moved over from statements to EHCPs, one of the reasons behind that 
reorganization was to try and take a more aspirational approach to these children's lives. It's not just about school, it's about what do they want to do with their lives, what do parents want for them, and to try and raise our game in terms of preparing children for life, not just getting through school. But the, yeah, those are really difficult conversations. And so when you're at secondary, you know, and you're choosing your GCSEs and, and you're making decisions about, right, am I going to, is this child going to do all their GCSEs? Which which ones? If not, what are we going to do instead? Really, really hard questions. And so even though when the child's in primary school, so, uh, you know, a child with Down syndrome, it might seem ridiculous to be thinking about you know, what they're going to be doing when they're 20. But we do need to just have that in the back of our minds. Perhaps we should add some visuals in. Yeah, (laughs) always, always more visuals. Do you know what? If you're talking to a speech therapist, Dale, and you want brandy points, just always say more visuals, more visuals. It's an abstract concept of where do you want your child to be? Oh, completely. Having some visuals just to make you think of what do you want them to be? Just... yeah. You just think, what do you want to do? If you've got a picture of a business person, I'm going to say a homeless person. I'm going to say someone who's just camping and happy. Just giving those three options will make you think, oh, yeah. Well, there's nothing. So, yeah, it's yeah. as they want it to be more aspirational, that's great. You want it to yeah. be more aspirational, but you've taken away you leading my aspirations to parents having without the scaffolding, without the skills. Absolutely. Oh, completely. And I think, sadly, that that part of the annual review and ACP process both the questions we asked the child and the parent has in some places I'm not going to say all because some places do it really well but it has become a bit of a tick box thing in some places you know draw a picture of what you want to do when you're older and you know those discussions are really hard and I think is this a meaningful representation of what this child's thinking and actually you know working with some teenagers at the moment and I know we've been working for literally years on the skills it takes to think about the future and what you might want to do and that has been a theme that's woven through all our language work because I would like for them to get to a place where they can contribute meaningfully to what happens to them but that doesn't happen by accident that's not a question of sticking in some visuals in the week before the annual review and saying right what do you want to do when you're older that's about helping them practice those skills they need to think about that for years sometimes you know and that's what it takes and pfa preparing for adulthood that should start in early years yes it doesn't really seem to pick up any pace till secondary yes Yes. Until they're thinking of careers and life, where it is, oh, hang on, that's a few years away, we need to do something about this. Yeah, absolutely. Because at age five, it does seem like miles away. Yeah. It does seem like an infinite amount of time away. But no, that's where you start. And if, if you're literally throughout that early years and primary, you're just giving them the skills to think about their future. Yeah. Then when it actually comes, they'll be able to be much more involved in that conversation. Absolutely. Yeah. So, you know, nobody said it was easy. No. <laughs> but actually, it can work really well. But if we take away the stuff that works for children because, oh, it worked and now he has to do without it. And then at 16, we go, all right, what do you want to do? And we haven't, we've taken away all the things that would help them develop the skills to do that. Then, you know, it's going to be a bit meaningless. So that's why speech therapists do bang on a little bit about keeping these strategies in place because they're headed somewhere. (laughs) These visuals and the signing, they're all headed towards something that may not pan out in the time that you work with the child. But, you know, our aspiration is for children to get to as far as they can along the path of making decisions for themselves. Yeah. I think that's particularly pertinent in the context of children with Down syndrome. I suppose it's, it's I suppose this is a bit of a uh, sensitive topic. It is, is it important for children to appear and be normal so they don't use all this stuff? Mm. Well, that's the thing, oh, right. 
if he doesn't need that, we've got a normal child, now everything's happy. Or actually, is it more important that although this child does need that, they do need that, they're actually more equipped to deal with life by having that? Yeah, I personally, I don't think we, I don't think we do well for the world when we just, you know, steamroller over it and try and make everybody the same. These, you know, these children bring strengths to the world. They bring all sorts of skills to the world that I don't have. You know, and so when we try and make everybody the same, we lose out on all that. And so I think for a long time, you know, we culturally have been engaged in the task of trying to make children act more like the rest of society. But actually, I genuinely think society is better when we adapt to the ways different people need stuff done. It's better for everyone. You know, if a doctor's surgery puts up a poster with visuals on it, because they're thinking about a patient with Down syndrome. That's also better for somebody who doesn't speak English and somebody who maybe is a bit older and has got dementia or something. You know, there is no downside to this stuff. You know, when we make the world more inclusive, it's just better for everybody. You're not making some special dispensation for one group of people. You're just making life a little bit better. So, you know, I I genuinely think, so speech therapists, a lot of the time, yes, we're engaged in the task of supporting children to, you know, do well in their lives, but also the much harder task of trying to make the world... (laughs) Just change the world, you know, small task, uh, change the world to make the world a tiny bit more accommodating to people with communication needs. Only a bit, but a little bit would go a long way. I suppose just come down to things about speech language is, is you're not you're not trying to change the child. You're not trying to change that person. What you're trying to do is help them express themselves and understand the world around them. Yes. Absolutely. So we know for a lot of our children and children with Down syndrome, they are going to have long term communication needs. I'm not trying to fix them. I'm not trying to do away with that, but I'm trying to help them flourish within their profile of needs and strengths. Because the more the more they can express, the more they can understand. As you say, communication needs is often linked to that mental health. Mm. So you're just trying to remove that barrier. You're trying to make that life easier. By helping them to express how they feel, share how they feel, share their experiences, but also understand others. Hmm. It's not always easy. It's not at all easy, or we'd be doing a better job of it as a society. (laughs) (laughs) But it's good to have that aspiration. I mean, you know, yourself, just thinking about yourself, you'll have strengths and areas of difficulty. And if somebody just tried to force you to be the same as everybody else, you'd be deeply unhappy you know, and what we all do as adults is try and find niches for ourselves that make the most of our strengths and needs. And we're able to do that as adults for the most part. And when you try and force people into boxes that don't suit their strengths and needs, then, you know, you just make for a lot of unhappy people. So I always like the, uh, which I say to my daughters a lot. So I always say, no one will be as ever, no one will ever be as good at being you than you. Mm. You will always make a bad copy of someone else absolutely so just be you celebrate you enjoy you um i'm not saying don't change you (laughs) but be the best you so you can take lots of things on board in your way absolutely yeah and it's it's no different for children with down syndrome or any other area of slcn you know we're not trying to fix them i I genuinely believe that the children i work with are not broken so they don't need fixing you know, they might need different things to achieve their potential. And that's all. You know, they're not lesser versions of the rest of us. No, they're just different. Yeah. Just different and not in a good, not in a bad, more as in a different choice of paint colour. Absolutely. Cool. Um, well, thank you for coming on the show today. 
Thank you. So we're going to put some links together from this episode and we'll put these in show notes along with how you can contact Ang Harrod and find the key speech and language therapy. I'll also be putting a link to the B-Squared website, our communication interaction framework, which Ang Harris has worked with us on, uh, and a link to a meeting uh, with me so you can find out more about our communication interaction framework. You can find the show notes on our website, www.thesendcast.com. Thank you for listening to the show. Please let us know what you think. You can subscribe on our website. You can leave comments on the website. So if you listen to it on the website, or you go find the show notes, you can leave a little comment on every episode to tell us how amazing you think it is. Or you can leave a review on iTunes. I've no idea if you can leave reviews on other podcast systems, but you can leave reviews in various places. Or drop me an email to me, dale at thesendcast.com. You can find us on all these social media channels. On Twitter, we are at The Sendcast. On Facebook, we are The Sendcast. On Instagram, The Sendcast. And LinkedIn, just search for Sendcast. Please get in touch. Let us know your thoughts, suggest topics, anything else, feedback, your stories, and please send these to hello at thesendcast.com. And if you've enjoyed the Sendcast, why not look into what we're doing over on Virtual Send Conference? So I mentioned the beginning of the podcast, great way for schools to get CPD around SEND. Uh, it's run by us at B Squared, covers a huge range of topics all around SEND. And rather than having to travel anywhere, you access it over the internet, which makes life a lot easier. No traveling, no costs, access it whenever you want. Because although we run the conference twice a year, we record all the sessions. So you don't have to watch it on the day. You can watch it whenever you want, as often as you want, repeat watching it, which means that you might watch it and then you can signpost other members of staff to it, or you can use it as part of inset training. You can buy tickets for future or past events, always available. And the cost for the school's conference is £60. And for that, you get that's for the entire school. And normally, when you have to go to a conference, you might miss out on various sessions because they clash. As we record them all, you do not miss a single session. So, as a listener to the Sendcast, we're offering a 10% discount just using the code SENDCAST10. Uh, that's with no space. And we are at the moment just launching Parent Talks from the Virtual Send Conference, which is the same sort of concept, but for parents. So we've worked with an organization called the Seashell Trust to sort of look at what topics parents are struggling to find information on, what they need support on. And we're creating content and getting lots of really good speakers in to help share that information. So rather than being £60 a ticket, as it's just for parents and it's only going to support a family at a time, we're doing those for £10 a ticket. So you can find out more about Virtual Send Conference on the website, www.virtualsendconference.com. And if you're interested in the parent talks, just do www.virtualsendconference.com forward slash parents. So big thank you for listening. We'll be back next week with another episode of the Sendcast. Goodbye from me. And goodbye from me. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.